Welcome to the Heal Thrive Dream Podcast, where trauma survivors become healthy thrivers. Each month will feature a theme in the trauma recovery and empowerment field to promote your recovery, healing, and learning how to build dreams. Here's your host, Karen Robinson, transformational coach and therapist. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Heal Thrive Dream Podcast. Today, I am so fortunate, and you're fortunate too, because the Kavanaugh sisters are with us. Um, This is the first time that we've had three sisters um, on a call together. And it's also, I think, our first guest for Ireland Ireland as well. So it's a a pretty special day. So I'm going to, for YouTubers, excuse me looking away to read their bio a little bit. My memory is not what it used to be. So that's my excuse. But I want to do them justice by... um, taking a minute to introduce them properly. Okay. So on the show today, we have Joyce, June, and Paula, for those YouTubers who can see them. Okay. And for for the podcast here, I want you to know who we're talking about. So the Kavanaugh sisters, Joyce, June, and Paula. And if you were wondering, no, June was not born in in June. So she just told me that now. (laughs) Okay. So Um, The sisters were born into a large family in Ireland in the mid-50s and 60s. They um, come from a disadvantaged area in Dublin, and all three of them were sexually abused by their father over two decades. In 1989, they um, decided to bring charges against him, and I'm really proud of you guys for doing that. I don't know how many people say that to you all, but I know that that was not easy and especially not easy during the time frame that you all did that. And, and when they tell their story, they'll share like um, what was going on in Ireland at the time with, with sex abuse cases, because not much, right? Um, so in 1990, they brought, okay, so no, 1989, they brought the, they made the decision to bring charges. In 1990, the Irish state took, um, a, had a successful case against him. He was convicted and sentenced to a term of seven years and was released after serving five years. Okay. Now, um, ooh, I did not know this part or didn't remember it. I'm going to let them tell you the story, though. Like, when you guys start talking, I would like to hear about the documentary that I see on your website and also about your book. So people are books. So people know what you have to offer, because I think. There are a lot of sisters and siblings abused that are, are listening in. So I think your story can give them hope, one. And two, it's, it's a great example of how telling our story um, can be part of the healing journey. That's the other thing I think is really great about you guys. Okay. I'm sure there's more great things. So go ahead. Who would like to start by telling me about the doc or telling my audience about the, the documentary that you guys are doing or have done? It's a silent screen. Uh, yeah. Choose the final one. Oh, um, when we made the decision to prosecute our father and then he got sentenced, it was shortly after he got sentenced, a, a woman that was with the national broadcast here, which is called RTA, approached us and asked us would we do a documentary. At the time, they were doing a series of documentaries and it was called A Silent Scream. But the only thing they wanted, they insisted upon, was they really wanted people who were willing to go on camera and not hide your face, not hide your identity, so that the story would come across without the shame that is normally attached to it. And of course, us being us, we just agreed. We didn't even, to be honest, we didn't think that hard about it. We just said, yeah, we'll do anything. 
and that was how that documentary came about. And then there was awards for it, and there was a lot that went on after it. But uh, that was probably at the time that was much tougher than we thought it was going to be, because mm-hmm. you're in a room on your own with camera crew around you, and they're asking you very personal questions. Yes. It was it was a little bit more difficult than doing the statements at the time. So, yeah. but it was we don't regret it. It was it was a really good thing to do. And then my father, who was in jail at the time, took out an injunction against the program and got it stopped. Now, he didn't get stopped for long. He stopped it for about two weeks. But because he did that, more people actually watched the program. So he (laughs) did a favor in the end. But he did everything he could to try and stop it because he just didn't. He didn't. He still believed he was coming out and was going to just go back to life as normal, like most abusers. And at the time, any program... Uh, depicting victims of sexual abuse they were all blacked out they'd be in shadow or in in the background or you'd see the back of their head or their voice would be described would be distorted so you wouldn't know who you were talking to yeah Yeah. we didn't have a problem at that time after going through the court case at that time in ireland we weren't given the opportunity to waver anonymity and speak openly about them and the press took the decision themselves to not publish either our names or his name no, saying the they were going to protect the law. Oh, yeah, it was, and it was protect us. us. But we didn't feel it was protecting us. We actually thought it was important that people knew who he was and identified him. But at the time, we didn't have a say. Whereas a lot of people now, things have changed so much now, there's a lot more victims willing to waive their anonymity so that the perpetrator is named. And even mm-hmm. though at the time we were, st- we were still struggling with, the victim mentality and shame and guilt and all that but we were still and always have been really enthusiastic about doing anything we could to help others who were in a similar position because we were devastated at the lack of information we couldn't get any help and we hadn't a clue what was happening to us and our lives and all through my father's court case nobody would tell us anything we weren't given any information. We certainly weren't given any. He was up quite a few times in court <coughs> prior to the major court case. But even on the day of his court case, our barrister, it was the first time we met him, but he told us on that day that my father more than likely would just walk free. He said, don't look at that. He's getting off light. Um, but he, because of his age, he's unlikely to save a sentence. So everybody was shocked even him. that the judge he actually bought, sentenced him. We found out he had bought tickets for a, a dance that weekend that he was so sure. He went into court with a bag of shopping. He was so uh, blasé about the whole thing. He was convinced that there was no repercussions to be had. And he never admitted guilt. Like, he never displayed remorse, you know. No, he felt we did something to him. Yeah. And also, at the time, um, when we turned up for court on the actual day, we were told, because there were so many of us, it was probably unlikely that we'd all be allowed in the courtroom. And they were concerned for his safety, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) His safety, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was crazy. But it was like that once we made the statement, we were surplus to requirements. They didn't need us. So they told us nothing. Yeah. And afterwards, speaking to detectives involved, which... They were brilliant, but we wouldn't have felt that at the time. But afterwards speaking, they said they were trying to protect us. Until the sentence actually was read out, we didn't know who was on our side because we were so excluded from the whole process. And it was just terrifying from start to finish. The anxiety surrounding the whole situation was unbelievable. And there has been progress made, but very slow. And very little. consider that was 30 years ago, like... The differences that have occurred are minute, you know, in terms of supporting victims. 
And then even taking that into account on the day he got sentenced, we all had very different reactions to him getting sentenced. Yeah, I want to hear what how each of you reacted to it. That like would be when, helpful. when we did, when we initially made the decision to prosecute, we didn't do it to be brave or, or even to be yeah. honest to punish him. We actually made the decision because we were afraid he was going to go out and abuse somebody else, and we no longer had we well, would have no, been blamed the for truth that. Is, that was Joyce's uh, yeah. feelings on it, wasn't it? Do you want to? I wanted yeah, to. I just felt that if he abused somebody, we couldn't pretend we didn't know anymore that we were just as responsible. We tried everything. We called, we spoke to as many professionals as possible to see what could we actually do here. And the only option available was to prosecute. Yeah, and Paula was 100% on board with that because she just wanted them I wanted dead, them dead. And I didn't care how we got there. I just wanted mm-hmm. them there quickly. Now, I, on the other hand, was I was actually concerned about him. <laughs> I know, I know. But I had, I used to have, I had nightmares at the time that somebody was going to bash him and kick his head in and I was so upset about the whole process and I just felt um, that I, I said look I, I can't do this and both of them agreed that was fine they let me go away and process it and it wasn't long before I was back and said now come on we're doing it because I just needed to be able to make a choice that you know to have the power to make a choice about it but as soon as I made the choice not to I realized it was the wrong choice because he wasn't finished there was still lots of danger surrounding him for the future and possible future victims because it's, he was prolific. Yeah. And it's also remembering, like, even I remember having a conversation and June had said to Joyce, like, he wasn't all bad. Like, he did do nice things for us. Oh, yeah. Uh, abusers uh, have some good qualities, too. Yeah, that's, well, why, that's why some don't believe them. This was be the case, Karen, because I, that was my naivety and my desperation to cling on to some kind of a, a portion of a, of a good father. And I, I was trying desperately to you know pretend that it wasn't that bad but when I said that Jai said yeah but you know I said he did do nice things for us he, he took us to Butlins and he took us to England and I said yeah but what did you have to do for that and the penny dropped and I just thought like I was just so naive we all were we were we were really sheltered in, in within the abuse he made sure our lives literally revolved around the house and him he was the center of the universe and so we really were, we hadn't a clue what was going on in the world. So although we went to school and played out on the road with other children, we were very naive. And in those times, a lot of children were naive, but we really took it to another level. And we didn't see our naivety as a good thing. We thought we weren't naive. We were stupid, yeah. thick. Yeah. And my yeah. father would say you were thick as shit. And we all believed we really were thick. And we did a lot of things to kind of confirm them for ourselves, <laughs> though, to be honest. Like in school, we certainly weren't the brightest bulbs in the class. Well, why? Oh, I know. But you see, at the time, we didn't understand why we weren't the brightest bulbs in the class. And school, for all of us, was horrific. It was actually, for lots of times, it felt worse than being raped at home, was going to school. Because that was a whole other... Were you bullied at school? No. No. And we were very obedient. We were like mice. We didn't stand out in the crowd. We were very good kids in school. And oh, it was just had, hard to focus, maybe? It was yeah. on us. We had nothing left. All our energy was gone on survival. And so we had, were very insulated in our thinking. And so to demand anything extra from us was we hadn't got it. Well, we and have that kind of understanding now. We but didn't. at the time, yeah. we didn't. That's and, true. And funny enough, like, the only place I ever felt safe was at home. Yeah. Which was where all the damage. The irony of it. Yeah. 
Like it's crazy. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's because you knew the lay of the land. You knew what to expect. Bad as it was, you it was familiar, and it was all you knew. Whereas in school, anything could have been thrown at you. You were there was expectations escalating all the time, and we were unable to fulfil them, leading us to just retreat back to what we were always been told that we were just stupid. We couldn't do it, and that took years for us to realise. That they were right. Yeah, that they were. We were fucking. Yeah, it's so tempting. <laughs> it's a crack of joke, but yeah. I mean, yeah. we all went on to get degrees, and I know personally. Oh, I did know I that. Went, I went to get that degree just simply to prove that I wasn't stupid, and it took yeah. a while. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it so wasn't easy. <laughs> the three of you, it's going to be hard to get all the information. Yeah. I would love to see us cover. So. I want to. I want to know. Okay, one. Where can people see this documentary? Like, is it? There's actually a clip on our website. Okay, so we can go to your website. Uh, Tuesday Files. Is it? Tuesday Files screen, but it's on. We have all the videos up on the website. Okay, so that's the Cavanaughsisters.com. Yeah. To to see their documentary. Now, uh, tell us briefly about the book. Right. Or we books. wrote two books. The first book we wrote was called Click Click, and we fought to get the name Click Click simply because how my father summoned you when he was going to rape you was his clicks fingers. So that was why we called the book Click Click. And it was really important to us to use that name. When we were writing the first book took us, and not a word of a lie, we don't do things at speed. We're not known for speed. Endurance is probably more us. But Mm -hmm. it took us 20 years to write the book because we wrote it on, took a break, wrote a bit more, took a break. Well, it's a painful thing to write. Yeah. Yeah. We, what we did and what we made a conscious decision to do with Click Click was to write in the first person. So when we were writing about abuse, we wrote as a child being abused. Each of us did that in the book. And that was really important to us for lots of things that we didn't even realize at the time. But we made a decision because we wanted to dispel the myths about abuse and people thinking that either the perpetrator thinking they're doing you a favor and they actually only love you or the, the child enjoyed it in some way. We really wanted people to know what was going on in the child's mind while you're being abused that was why the memory and that's to be honest that's why the memories are so difficult for people to read in the book is because they are in the first person yeah um yeah. somebody want to jump in but the other thing we got out right personally what i got out right in the first person and i didn't even realize at the time was it was the first time when i went back in and i wrote a memory in detail that i was able to see my innocence and that I was a child and that I wasn't guilty. But I was also able to see how he set up different circumstances in my life and different situations and how he played each of us yep. and how I was convinced all my life that it was only me he was abusing and the girls were the same. And yet when it came to making statements, we were all able to recall walking in and seeing him raping somebody. But as you know, with abuse, how you disassociate and compartmentalize your memories, they were all memories that we definitely shoved away and didn't right. remember until till we were making statements and to be honest until we were doing the book they didn't really come to light because up to then we were all convinced that we were all individuals being abused yeah and we were convinced also we would have swore we didn't know about the others yeah and we didn't realize that we did know until we started writing the book yeah because the the example we use when he clicked his fingers and when we each row separately we would say when he clicked his fingers, you would freeze and you would hope it wasn't you. And so we got into a conversation after coming together with our writings and saying, well, if you didn't think it was you, who did you think it was? And then we were kind of going, and so we actually did all know about each other. But there's levels of knowing that go on in a house yeah. where abuse is taking place. 
and you're protecting yourself just to survive. Which and is, so it all makes sense now. And it actually, it was that understanding and that delving into that, that level of detail that helped us to understand my mother's role in what was going on in the house and how she, in I believe she did know, but she knew the same way I knew that I didn't really know because I'd locked it away and my mother did exactly the same. And the only difference is my mother went to her grave never delving into what was really going on and what level of it did she know about and didn't she know about because she mm-hmm. never forgave herself. So she never did. No. And she got Alzheimer's before she passed. So to, no, mm-hmm. she was a victim. The just same as us. Just as we were. Yeah. Now, I didn't feel like I didn't feel that for a long time. I had more images, more hassle with dealing with my mother than with my father because mm-hmm. he was what he was. You could define him. I couldn't define her. It wasn't more hassle. It's, it, it hurts more. Yeah. Because the expectations of nurturing and mm-hmm. loving protection from a mother that wasn't there, it's just hard to accept because, yeah, of the elusive. Yeah. You can't see what you haven't got. You can see what he's doing to you and he's dynamic and he's in your face. She was just nowhere to be found and definitely emotionally nowhere to be found because she protected herself years ago. She found that when she showed affection to any of the kids, uh, they'd get battering or, you know, so to protect us and herself, she would just close off her emotions. Now, it's far more complex than that. but And he was quite a violent man, especially with, the, say, the first lot of children that came up, the boys. He was he was a violent man. By the time he got to us, I think that had fizzled out. He didn't need to use violence for us. He well, could threaten you. And that was, yeah, yeah, and you knew it. And he was, it was aggressive. a culture as well. Yeah. It was a culture. And roast, and you never questioned him. Simply yeah. so. Like, it is hard to imagine that only 30 years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would have been longer than that that was happening. Yeah. But, like, 30 years ago, all this coming out would have been huge. Like, it's everyday occurrence now. But it wasn't at the time. Yeah, so he didn't get consequences or justice for the physical abuse that no, he no. brought. It was mostly your brothers, right? That you said he was. No, and they, they wouldn't even have seen that as a problem because right. it was happening to everybody. Right. So they wouldn't see them as they wouldn't see that as being victimized in, in any way. No, any adult at that time could hit you. For I, I know, but was it maybe worse in your household? Was your daddy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I'm just saying, you could be walking down the street and some adult can decide to smack you. Yeah. And if you yeah. went to your parents with that, they would assume you did something to deserve it. So yeah, it would have yeah. never been questioned. That's why children didn't it. have voices, did they? No, no, yeah. no. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely not. And the corporal punishment going on in the schools and everything at the time. Mm-hmm. So adults just had all the power and that was... Now I'm just going to drag you back to the other point you wanted to cover, which was our second book. <laughs> Yes. Our second book is called Why Go Back? And the title of that was also very important to us. So we wanted to tell people the importance, victims and people who support them, why is it important to go back in and look at your past? And why is it important to go back in and unpick very disturbing moments and years of your life? Why do you need to do that? So our book is called Why Go Back? Seven Steps to Healing from Sexual Abuse. And the reason for that was because we know we wouldn't be where we are today if we hadn't have gone back and really examined what happened to us, why it happened, and then what grew out of that? What behaviours did we develop? What coping mechanisms did we use then that we continued to use as adults that didn't serve us anymore, that actually made our life hell, but we mm. needed to know what they all were? And we didn't realise that, we didn't realise there was actual medical terms for them, there was names for them, there was research. We didn't know attachment disorder existed. As an adult, we didn't think that had any impact on our life. 
and it had huge impact. And then how social, to social anxiety, social anxiety, all in, mm-hmm. disassociation. There's so many PTSD. We didn't know we had that. We knew we had all of the symptoms, but we didn't know what it was called. So when we were writing the book, they were the things that we benefited most from was going back in and being able to discover why do I behave the way I am? Why do I act? Why does that bother me? And that doesn't bother me. And being able to figure that out. And why is it hard to have a relationship? Why is it really difficult to maintain one? And why is it really difficult to to just live in a normal life when other people seem to be doing it fine? No problem. (laughs) Did did any of you turn to alcohol or drugs? Oh, yeah. <laughs> all of you. <laughs> yeah. Alcohol, drugs, alcohol, yeah. alcohol a lot, smoking. Really. And we we didn't eat. You know, we're still struggling with that one. Yeah, <laughs> we're working on that one. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I well, I can only speak for myself. I have a highly addictive personality, and so if I wasn't overeating, I would have been excessively drinking or smoking. And um, it was only just nature that stopped me because the hangovers and the self-hatred just grew so much that I would still have a drink now, but I don't drink the way I used to drink. No, and you you never became an alcoholic. We were always surprised ourselves that we didn't turn to prostitution. Drugs weren't really that available, not to us anyway. And alcohol, we did go for drink. And when we went for drink, we fell out of the pub. Because what was the point of drinking if you weren't getting plastered? Like, seriously, why would you bother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was how we felt. Like, why would you not go out and get hammered? Yeah, it was a waste of money. Oh, that needs to be plugged in. Waste of money. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, alcohol was your medicine then. <laughs> alcohol. Yes. Sorry, you just keep talking. Okay. Just, we're just looking for more power. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, so I guess I think what might be helpful now is each of you um, take a turn. Yeah. Um, Saying like what your biggest struggles were after the abuse and what are your biggest um, successes that have come after coping with your abuse. So maybe we'll start with um, you, Joyce. Yeah, well, biggest um, issues, I suppose I couldn't understand how every aspect of my life was affected by abuse. Some, mm-hmm. we, when we're writing our second book, we had to actually dissect every thought and every belief we ever had yes. and look at where it came from. And it wasn't ours. And to discover it wasn't ours was great and free, but also very fearful because you have to now... Really? Find your own beliefs, you to discover who you were. Yes. So that, that was tough and scary because, as I said, when we wrote our first book, we really believed we had told our story with nothing else. But we'd given that many talks around, people were asking questions, and the answers weren't in the book. So we felt compelled to go back and answer the questions. But to do that, we had to examine ourselves, our own. We didn't know how we got to where we were. We, we could joke and laugh and still be quite serious about the subject. And we felt because we have a very good sense of humour, it made it a little more simple and easier for people to hear. Because, you know, we'd hear people leaving the talk and saying, that's a dreadful subject, but I never laughed as much in my life. And they still got the message. Okay. You know what I mean? It was our nature. Yeah. yeah. So struggle, I mean, it's a constant struggle and it'll never end. But definitely um, there is a self-awareness now that is constantly grown. And I suppose 
that in itself is probably my biggest achievement to be conscious of right. things that happen and not to dive in the way I would have done and taking the blame and feeling guilty and feeling shame. That's kind of gone. You That's know what I mean? huge. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. is huge. That was for me anyway. Okay. But before we move on, before we move on, um, Joyce, how much education do you have? What do you do for work or what have you done for work? Uh, well, we all left primary school. We never went on to secondary. I think I was there for a few weeks. Oh, I don't school. know what your equivalent of primary and secondary is over there. It's high school and high school. It's and different school. for you. Like June and Joyce would have left school before they were 11, 12. I was 12. Yeah. And I left school when I was about 14. And I was probably the only one who stayed she in school as long. As smart. <laughs> yeah, no. I still am, let me tell you. Yeah. yeah, but see, it's like that. That was Paula's tool. She used her head education to bury herself it wasn't for that she wasn't bright for the right reasons like <laughs> <laughs> bright for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. one that she was dead clever it's so just an avoidance thing so that's as far as I went I started work when I was 12 we actually had a grocery store so we as a family family grocery yeah. store. it was attached okay. it was, it was it attached, attached to the house, house. that was I another see. way my father could hold all the family together and control mm-hmm everything so he was the boss as well as everything else so we worked for him right up to the time he actually was imprisoned yeah yeah mm-hmm. okay and we also did other jobs i mean we we did everything we did waitressing we did catalogs we did uh tupperware parties yes. and then uh my father diversified the shop wasn't doing so well so he diversified to make soft toys teddy bears and we had a successful enough uh company gone there right up until the day he was in prison the shop was long gone but over the years he experimented with everything a chip shop and everything we tried for a while until he killed everybody in the neighborhood but i mean we we tried selling clothes we 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 we've always worked yeah always worked but it was usually we believed we were stupid we had no uh written credentials we'd no um like you couldn't ask the outfit for a reference. Yeah, with no okay. references, with no certificates. So we Still? only went for jobs. Okay, I so thought you guys... We only have our degrees. But yeah, at the time, so I want to hear about Joyce's. Joyce, what, what degrees do you have? I had a degree in community development and leadership. Oh, that's freaking huge. Yeah, I have, <laughs> I have that one as well. I have okay. less Okay, you guys, sisters, we gotta let yeah. Joyce, we're going to take turns. <laughs> I just know how to do that. No right, so I have that, and I have a degree in. Oh no, it's not a degree. What have I got in? Um, orosoma and oh, holistic health, reflexology. Reflexology. Okay, because I want um, people who are currently in horrible situations to have hope. Because uh, I think it's common that uh, abuse survivors either feel very stupid or they throw themselves in school. Like school is the the safe haven for them. So I want them, I want people to have hope. And so you, you were able to finally believe in yourself enough to get a degree. And um, what kind of work have you done with your degrees? If any, I don't know. Well, I've worked in the community now for over 20 years, but um, I've just retired. Okay. So I don't do that anymore. <laughs> That's what, too much. What did you do for the community? Deal? This is a time to brag about yourself. I know we worked in, uh, myself and Paula worked in the Childhood Development Initiative. Okay. Yeah. Where, I mean, mine would have been, what was it, a community engagement officer, where I would have worked with the community people and introduced them to the police, the politicians. I made a 
the idea was to make it very easy for them to see these people just they're just individuals they can be approached and you know it was all about breaking down barriers so it was really about building relationships as well because again this is this area i live in is very disadvantaged as well Mm-hmm. but um you know it's it's a great community as well so that's what i did for over 20 years awesome okay sticking with joyce still for one more minute <laughs> <laughs> <Our turn>. <laughs> <laughs> you're the only one as a neighbor to separate <laughs> the only one so, so joyce of, of all this um recovering and healing that you've done what is one or two of the big things or, or small things that you did that really helped your recovery to heal you I think the biggest thing I, we did was I write the book I couldn't believe the the personal information and understanding I had of myself and like Paula was explaining like it was the first time ever I saw myself as innocent up to then I would have felt we did this together. How can I accuse him of anything? There was two of us because it's it's a it's a very common thing with a sexual mm-hmm. crime where the victim owns the most of it. And it's very clever, like because we in yeah. writing the book we've got to understand how he made us think that and believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, come on and we'll do something, you know. Oh god. <laughs> but um that was the best thing for me to actually it was the first time ever I saw myself as innocent. Mm-hmm. I loved him I did love him when Mm -hmm. and I thought he was God and anything he said I would have never in a million years questioned I just believed he knew better he knew what had to be done and he had his reasons for everything and to be able to see that clearly allowed me to look at myself now it was also very painful because I didn't know who I was I'm still struggling with that one but I had a, a very clear role until we wrote the book and then it was declared. Wow. That was but pretty powerful. That was pretty powerful, Cher. Thank but you. I'm left alone, Paula. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sisters, for allowing her to share. her. Because uh, if we keep interrupting each other, it's going to be really hard to get de- to a deeper yeah. level. Okay. So now we're going to let June go. And June, you have the floor. Uh, so I want to hear. That um, was the question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you again. <laughs> so June, my question for you is like, um, what do you feel like were your biggest struggles because of the abuse? Well, not even because of the abuse, because you've always had the abuse. So you, you, you can't separate any struggles you've had away from that, really. So, and, and, and I believe, and I believe clinically and personally that um, trauma impacts every single area of our lives. Absolutely. So I, I want to hear in general, like what your major struggles were. Um, what were your primary ways of healing? No, that was the third part. No, your struggles, your successes, and then, you know, let's do a pause and then dive into how you did your healing um, journey. The struggles uh, really was self-hatred. That was the biggest struggle I had, and it was taking me down a very dark path. I did overdrink a lot. And I felt just before I met my partner, I, which I believe he was sent, we, I believe we made a prior arrangement to me up because if I didn't meet him when I did, I absolutely, I, I really feel I wouldn't be here. I was, I was putting myself in dangerous situations. I was drinking too much. I was just with the wrong fucking people and 
And I hated myself and there was nothing good I could see about my life. I just hated it and I hated me. And that wasn't going anywhere. It really wasn't. And even when I met my husband, like the two, he worked in a bar. So that was the end. Like, I mean, we were. That was heaven. Yeah. I, it was daylight most times. Heaven in hell. Yeah, yeah. Free drink. So like, uh, it wasn't until I got pregnant that the two of us kind of went, well, thank God for that. We can stop drinking because he was just as sick of it as I was. But we, for the lack of knowing what else to do, he, you, you'd only attract somebody that's on the same level as you. So I'm not saying he had the same past as us, but not identical, but there will be, a, there'll definitely be a crossover. You won't be attracting people who are fully adjusted. You know, <laughs> they'll, be, they'll have a certain amount of damage. And so we saved each other in a way. But the self-hatred was just, it was unbelievable. I, I used to say to the girls that I could nearly visualize it. It was like a big black hole in my body I could nearly draw I knew where it was I knew if I took a breath where to locate it I I didn't need to see I just knew it was always there and as we began doing work on the book slowly but surely we were chipping away and I I just come to realize one day I took a deep breath just to identify it and I couldn't find it and now that was years but I realized that it wasn't a big blackness it was an accumulation of every hurt, every time I'd been abused, every, you know, every pain that I had, all culminated into this feeling of self, I'm going to cry. Yeah, we're getting the moment. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's the money Crying, shot. It's, laughing. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, we accept it. Just, uh, I, the depth of self-hatred is just... No, no, I really appreciate, June, that you're seeing it because... That is a common, common experience for survivors, you know? So if somebody else is struggling with that and they hear you express it as well, I mean, it's, it's validating, yeah. you know? And because well, you're doing you start, better, it's hopeful. Yeah. And when you start looking back at the past, all the pieces come together and like, you don't realize that you're actually improving or getting anywhere sometimes it feels like you're just flogging a dead horse but you know, one day you turn around and you feel my god I, I'm not there anymore I have moved you just have to persevere with it and I do believe yeah if we didn't get together and do the book I can't even imagine where we'd be like our heads were so messed up we, we really and we didn't we didn't even have that awareness no. you know yeah we didn't no. have that self-awareness we really believed we did our bit took him to court we wrote the book we're done and we thought the first book was it like you know we just thought that took everything out of us 20 years on and off of writing this book how could you possibly have any more to give and then when we took our lives we took we would just say how could we talk to him when he was doing that to us and so we'd have a discussion on it and then Paula would say I'm going to just look that up now and say and she'd come back and she'd say there's actually a syndrome for that you know I mean Stockholm syndrome where you kind of befriend the abuser in order to self-preservation and we were going and not only that but if you look online for any of the things that are in our book we didn't we didn't invent the wheel but anything that we came across on our own was backed up then by research and science and not only that in this research we found it's all associated with sexual abuse victims so which means it's been in the realm of you know people knew about this for years and years and I got really upset I felt like why did nobody tell us? They would have shaved 
a few years off our self-hatred. If we'd have had, you know, if we said there should be a a booklet that give you going into therapy with all this information on about it, about the possible impacts on your life, about how there isn't a corner of your life that isn't turned upside down. That's right. that's you know, it. damaged, changed, interrupted, and, you know, negatively. And in fairness, when we were researching the book to put the syndromes in and to put the conditions in, the problem, like you said, most people who have been abused really struggle with education. It's a real barrier. And Not all of them. No, but a, lot of, but a lot of people do. But a lot of the research that you see or a lot of the conditions that are explained are done in language that ordinary lay people don't understand. It's all medical jargon as far as anybody's concerned. So to actually take it out, pick it apart and then say, well, what did that really manifest like in my life? What did it really look like in my life? That was the benefits we got out of it. And because the three of us would have been impacted differently, we were able to learn off each other. And it was because there was the three different views on something that really helped because there's commonality, but there's also a lot of differences in how we managed it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So going back to June, June, what are your what are your successes that that oh god what are my successes I, I'd say my children uh how many children do you have what how many oh, children my successes how many children do you have three three boys three boys okay and um 21 28 and 30 and um yeah they are definitely my successes because the pain that I was living in caused me to be stubborn uh acted like I was full of pride when I was just dying but I would have I would have never committed to a relationship I would have never come I wouldn't have stood still long enough to find out who I was if I didn't have children the very first pregnancy I felt now I mean it didn't happen it wasn't a positive event when I found I was pregnant I thought fuck that this is the end of my life I can't run anymore I'm trapped I've nowhere to go. Oh wow! But, yeah. but when I got over that, um, yeah, I absolutely thought they were. They opened my heart for me. I wasn't able to do it because I didn't trust anybody. Mm. What kind of what kind of mom are, are all three of you moms? No, no, Paula isn't. Okay. No, I, I have two dogs. You can call that. She may as well be. Yeah. They're, they're worse than kids. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, June, what kind of mom were you? Are you? Oh, well. When I was just, when the kids, I had Christopher and Stephen, my first two, very close together. Mm-hmm. And when they were very young, all of this broke out, you know, and we started therapy. And I think that saved, I think that saved their bacon. Because <laughs> I think I would have just been lashing out, aggressive, cranky all the time. My husband and I used to say to me, Jesus, you never ring me giving out, you know, while I'm in work. Uh, most of the people I work with get phone calls regularly from their wives. And I said, it's because I work on myself. Because believe me, if I didn't work on myself, you would be blamed on everything. Not that he doesn't deserve some blame. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, you know, he would be blamed on everything, yeah. you know. Okay, so um, your, your children, tell us your degrees I and what you've accomplished work-wise. Myself and Joyce did the degree in community leadership and development, so... Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say Paula was a big help for me personally getting through that because I would so little self-esteem that I'd say halfway into the degree before I would let her go. I, I depended on her so much until when I got to a year, about a year and a half I was, and she was trying to help me with something. I was going, you don't know what you're talking. 
<laughs> give me that back you know I had gone from oh just please help me to get out of the way you know <laughs> but was it she didn't persevere with me I, I wouldn't have made it you know and then I couldn't believe it I just thought I can I actually can do this that's right yeah okay. so yeah that was and I did it I I would have backed out if she wasn't there I absolutely wouldn't have stuck it and just due to lack of confidence I also studied we all fell into caring uh careers yeah. like we all studied holistic health we all had a passion for it but running right alongside that passion is the lack of self-belief and so you feel like well I personally I can't keep talking for other people I felt like a fraud like I studied acupuncture because I have a special needs son and I thought I could help him and I stuck needles everywhere. <laughs> so, I mean, I did loads of treatments. Uh, we, you know, dedicated a room at home to just treatments. And I got great response and everything. But I always felt like a fraud. And I loved it. When I found something, I thought, this is it. This is my calling. I'm never going to stop doing this. This is what I want to do. I'm so happy doing it. And after a year or two, I would just drop it. I couldn't stick at it because I felt they're going to find out I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not, I'm no good. And I would just do a number on myself to the point where it wasn't worth it. I just felt like, oh, now look, you know, try something else. So we call that imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you feel like Another that. syndrome. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So are you currently still working in your field or have you retired? No, as well? I, no, I stopped in about, I think it was 2014 and I'm a carer for my son, which is, mm-hmm. Or kind of, it's a full-time job. Full-time job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, what, so what do you think was the most critical piece of your healing journey? So anyone that's starting their journey, what would you recommend? There's no doubt if you're not as fortunate as us to have sisters, if you had other victims, because it's, it'd be great if you can speak to somebody professionally, but if even that isn't your choice or you don't want to for whatever reason, if you can if you can sit with other people who have experienced has similar experience that they can totally relate and work together like really it saved all of our lives it gave us a relationship that we hadn't got prior to this and um, the way it worked I felt we Paula we gained definitely gained Paula because Paula had isolated herself to the point where we were on the outskirts so it gave us it gave us back our relationship and it, may, it helped me personally to know that I, I actually am powerful. I thought the way the dynamics went in our family, Joyce was God. That's why she was talking about being unsure of where she fit in at the end of that first book, because we started to grow. And it didn't mean that we still didn't consider or turn to Joyce in the way we had previously, but she didn't feel that. She felt displaced and it was very triggering. It was upsetting for everybody because you know the relationship dynamics were changing all the time and then writing was even becoming difficult because you had three people growing to the point where they they you know opinionated yeah quite opinionated so to get all three to agree on one sentence sometimes could take us a week so it was a huge challenge but i would say the biggest gift or the biggest um lesson yeah to, to contributor to, to healing from sexual abuse was working together it was definitely each other you I don't you can't do it on your own and I also feel being believed in the courts even though I wasn't happy with the sentence my father got mm-hmm. um being believed being believed so many people don't yeah. get that 
And I think that in itself, that one thing on its own, if there was some way to, there has to be something we can do for victims that can't get justice in the courts. Because we looked into, what is it? Justice? Restorative justice. It's a possibility, but it's just they need some kind of validation. Anybody that I've seen that don't manage to get past the DPP in the courts, accepted mm-hmm. to go through the courts, suffer worse than worse than people that do. Um, I don't know if that's making any sense. Yes. Okay. So now it's Paula's turn. <laughs> We're going to interrupt all <laughs> oh, the time. <laughs> no, you're not. You're going to be excellent role models for your little sister. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Paul, I want both eyeballs into the, the screen for YouTube. Right. Um, what was my biggest, I think the most difficult thing for me with the abuse and the way it impacted my life most severely was the social anxiety. And I know I'm talking here, it's no big deal. And I get up in front of an audience, it would be no big deal. But that isn't how I actually genuinely feel. Mm-hmm. So the social anxiety for me was crippling. It, was, it wasn't it was a little bit of a problem. It was a huge problem. So even when I managed to go out and be social, I used to coach basketball. And I loved it. And I was a tyrant. But yeah. I loved it. But I, I felt I could do that because I knew what I was talking about. So like when I do something and I study really hard to do it, and I believe I really know what I'm talking about. It, may, it, it lessens the social anxiety. But then ask me to sit and talk to somebody socially. That's a very different ballgame for me. I'm not comfortable doing that. Even today, I'm not comfortable doing that. I, that would be the thing that's put me in a panic now. And even with all the work I've done, that's the bit I find the most difficult. Because I either do one of two things. I either go out and, and chat to somebody all night. And then come back and have a post-mortem about what did I say that for? I, I'm after doing that. That's saying I shouldn't have said this. I get diarrhea of the mouth. The minute I'm uncomfortable or nervous, I just keep talking. And I look at other people who sit in a room and they're really quiet. And they say nothing all night. And I long to be that person. But I just mm-hmm. don't have that ability because I can't cope with that panic. So I think of all the things that affected me socially. And I went to college as well as a mature student. To, but to be perfectly honest, I went to the first college I went to, I went to for four years to learn alternative therapies and massage and aromatherapy. And I loved it all. Absolutely loved it. But I didn't go to college to get an education, if I was to be honest. I went to college so I wouldn't have to go out and get a job. And meet people. And meet people and do all that shit. So oh, wow. when I, and then I set up my own, working from home and I had clients and like that imposter syndrome, I couldn't do it because and I, uh, I know myself, I was really good at what so I did, right. yeah. mm-hmm. but I couldn't do it. And for instance, I had an exam and I had to bring in a guinea pig while I was doing, getting the exam. And I asked June to come in while I was doing an aromatherapy massage and being marked on for my exam. You have no idea. It took me 15 minutes to get a drop of oil out of a bottle because I was so nervous and aware somebody was watching me. Whereas that wouldn't even happen if I wasn't being watched. I can't do the watching bit. So I went and I did all those therapies. And even at the end of that, I set up me on and that didn't work for me because I just felt like, how can I tell people to go out and, and look after themselves when I'm smoking and drinking? And I certainly wasn't mentally capable of doing what I was doing. So then I decided I still didn't want to get a job. So I'd go to another college and I'd get me a degree. Oh, that's how you got so smart. <laughs> so I went and I got me a degree because some of the credits I had with the first course I could bring into the second one. Mm-hmm. So I went and I did leisure management and event management and all that. What was I thinking of? I don't know, because that requires you to be social. And I'm not social. (laughs) 
But I did everything. I, I, I never did anything. That, the biggest trouble I had in college wasn't the work. I loved the work. They'll tell you, I could do 24 hours a day studying, wouldn't bother me. It was to happen to go in and sit beside somebody and have a conversation in those in-betweeny moments or while you're waiting for a lecture or during the lunch break. So I used to drive in and park where it cost me a fortune so that I had somewhere to go at lunchtime so I didn't have to sit with the class. It was, and that just ruined, I didn't have a college experience. And then I had the problem when I came out and I had a degree and I, and even in the other things where we got distinctions meant nothing to me because I didn't understand anything I learned because I had learned it by row. I learned it for an exam. I went in, I did exams in an hour. Don't say four hours, I'm gone. But I didn't understand a single thing I put on a piece of paper. And you know that that saying, uh, if you don't use it, you lose it. Well, I lost a lot because I didn't use it after I did the exam. That was it. I'll tell you, I was like, I went in and did the Spanish oral exam. I can't speak two words of Spanish to you. I got a friend of mine whose son was in college learning Spanish to take a 15-minute presentation. And I learned that off my heart. I couldn't tell you what I said, what it meant. But I passed and I got the top marks out of class. And I don't even know how to say hello. <laughs> so I did a lot of education for me was a runner. It wasn't a, it wasn't necessarily like I don't regret anything I've learned, but it was a, a distraction. It wasn't necessarily. So that was what were your biggest successes? That was my biggest successes. Publishing the first book for me that was that was huge because I didn't think we'd ever get there. We had spent so long doing that, I didn't think that was ever going to happen. And for me, the second book was in lots of ways more important than the first book. Success, other than that, self awareness. Oh, learning to get out of really bad relationships that's a that's a Ooh. that's a humdinger. Yes. Because I have staying power. Like I said, I'm not built for speed. So I can stay in something for a long time before I say enough's enough. I'm the opposite of that. <laughs> like, see ya. <laughs> and because I don't like change, a lot of times it was easier for me to stay where I was than up and move. So that was that's probably, in fairness, when I think of where I am today, that's probably the biggest thing was looking at where I was and what I was doing and deciding that's not working for me. And taking taking the little bit of courage I had and saying, right, I'm out. That's huge. When I had nothing, I had nothing to go to and I had nowhere to live, I still thought, I know, I've had it. And we are all very similar in the fact that we're all or nothing. We're either very invested or we're not there at all. Yeah. So that, that's a, that would have been a big thing. So if you ever want to work on that, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy helps with that. Right. Well, More therapy, cognitive, cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy. Yeah. It helps with the all or nothing, the, the cognitive distortions. Like there's a yeah. reason why we get them and it's usually childhood crap and, and yeah. why we, we get where we are. Um, okay. So what was the main, what was the biggest part of your healing? Is that the books as well? Or, or is there something else that you tried that was really helpful? It was, it was partly it was the books, but for me, it was probably more of the challenge and crap from these two. Cause I never <laughs> got away. If you say something, you were challenged on it and I am a runner. And if I can escape something, I will but I couldn't because they wouldn't let me. So yeah. that was probably the biggest thing. It wasn't just, we weren't picking on it. We wouldn't let each other know. Right? No, it was, it was the way we worked together was if you, if you wrote something and you, you removed yourself emotionally from what you were writing, somebody would say, but where did you go? What was that all about? It was that, that challenge. 
that took me a long time to accept as a challenge, let me tell you. But that was the thing I think was the biggest. It's, it's a bit like June said, you can't do this. I don't believe you can do this on your own. I don't care who you are. And I spend most of my life alone because I that's where I'm most comfortable. That's where I run. But you can't do this on your own. You have to have people around you and people who aren't afraid mm-hmm. to call you out when you're not doing the work. When you're isolating. Yeah. 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 Well, that's that's exactly why I um, created the membership that I have. Is It's a healing trauma together community. And a lot of the work is going to be done in the forums, you know, the, the chatting back and forth with each other to help each other. Yeah. And one of the things as women are healing, I want them to be conscious of looking, reaching down to help someone that's not as far along in their journey as you are. Yeah. So that's, that's exactly, you're exactly right. It's much easier to heal and recover when we do it in a community. It's also one of the things I find is it's also can be much easier for you to see where you've moved by talking to other people and going, God, I remember being stuck where she is. Mm -hmm. Um, So it does actually help you see your own progress when you're talking to other people. Yeah. And like, it took us a long time. Even when we said we weren't victims, we were, we still didn't get it. It it takes a long time and repetition for the penny to drop sometimes. There's layers that it'll go to and you feel, like even forgiveness happens in layers. You think you've actually forgiven somebody or yourself and you find another little nook or or cranny that you didn't know about crops up and you start to doubt your progress. What you're doing, you are chipping away at it, like that self-hatred I mentioned. You're chipping away at it whether you realize it or not and you turn around one day. It's the kind of work that retrospectively you look back and go oh my god I I actually have moved a great deal you know but your head is a mess you can't sort it out on your own you can't it's it's very challenging to do for sure yeah and the last survivors feel truly alone right yeah and also therapy in itself can be really difficult if you're if you're not either ready for it right if you're pushed into it or if you've the wrong therapist and not knowing you have a choice to say hang on this isn't working for me Mm-hmm. when they will sit there and say you know if you really loved yourself you'd be here but it is a start <coughs> and and it did help us it put, <coughs> it put us on the road to recovery and and again like the like the court case it was early days when we did our therapy so it was it, it was, was a lot new. of experimental very new. we were like guinea pigs they were mm-hmm. only learning on us and when we look back on it they did get some things really wrong but they did put us on the road and when we finally started to work on ourselves, everything we'd done before wasn't wasted. Everything contributed to pushing us forward and going, that's what they meant when they said integration is important. And like we did get the some of the information. Now, we didn't get the required information. We didn't get all of the stuff that, like even the post-traumatic stress disorder, yeah. how most victims are diagnosed with that. And we're going... Well, like people who see the worst atrocities in war have that, and yet they're comfortable to assign that to victims of sexual abuse, but still not give the crime itself the credit that you would give. Weird, right? (laughs) It's like they acknowledge that you have what what war veterans go through, but the crime itself is not given the same strength. And, you know, that particularly with child sexual abuse, the crime is tantamount to murder. Because, you know, by the time, like, we're not finished. We still have work to do. We do believe we've done a great deal of work on ourselves, but we're not finished. And, you know, it is a life sentence. 
for a child because once they're under seven, for example, their brain connections are altered, their personalities have changed. Everything about them has changed. You've literally, you've practically murdered a human being because that person is gone. Right. I I, I agree that justice isn't where it needs to be yet. Okay, so we are way over time, which is fine because there's three of you. Um, But I I do have to um, wrap up because I have uh, a client waiting. But I I want you all to have a chance to, to, you know, each go around and say one, like what one piece of wisdom for someone that's suffering right now, like something inspirational. And it doesn't have to be a big thing, like no pressure, like one inspirational piece of advice or suggestion for a survivor. I'd like you each to do that. And if you don't quite feel like you can do that right now, it's okay to email it to me later. And I'll put it in the show notes on the podcast later. So if you feel pressure, it's, it's okay. I think the most important quote in that book is about pain drawn energy in. Can anybody remember that? Yeah, it's just a realization that we found through our process is that pain draws energy in, whereas empathy, yeah, empathy and forgiveness and uh, draws it outwards. I really, I suppose the most important thing is really be kind and gentle with yourself. It's a, it's a journey back to find out who you are. And but it, it can be done with kindness. Yeah. And it needs to be done with kindness. And I'm remembering that the one thing that all abuse victims have is that feeling of being alone. And when you get connected to other people who have experienced abuse and you realize you're actually not alone, that can move mountains. But I think more important is to feel normal. We never felt normal. Yeah. And to realize no matter how you reacted, it's normal. And it's okay. And I would also say for most victims, their spirituality has been ruined for them, like, or at least damaged. And we found the further along our journey, the more inclined we were, we were drawn to spirituality, to, to, you know, to love each other, to be kind, to find forgiveness. All the good stuff start coming up the further we went along and particularly directing it towards ourselves, something we wouldn't have done before. And, that's vitally important. You just start to see the possibilities of a good life at the end of it. And probably remembering that uh, if you go around your whole life and all you ever experience is self-hatred, it, it, if you block all the bad memories and the bad stuff and the pain and the anger, and then you also block all the good stuff and mm. the love and the joy and yeah. the friendship and the compassion like, you can't block one and have the other one freely rolling around. That's the point of going back and dealing with yeah. the awful stuff, is to free up that space within you to be filled with the good stuff. Yeah. Okay, she's in a hurry. Okay. Is that your job? No, but um, she's, we'll him. Yeah, she's, she's a little compassionate. Look <laughs> oh, I was thinking about it, but you yeah. asked for a fucking word. <laughs> <laughs> book. I wasn't asking for the third book today, okay? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Now, everything that was said was beautiful, but Joyce, did you feel like you got to, to say what? Oh, she's going to say today. No, I guess that's <laughs> You'll get back to no, me? Okay. Okay, yeah. okay. That, that's fine. I think you, the three of you are beautiful, inside uh, and out. Yeah, not too bad. We'd like to send you a copy of the two books if you 
Pop us oh an email my, with the address. Oh my God. I would love that so much. And I don't mind going on. I, I feel, I felt guilty for not buying them yet. Ah, no, honest to God. I, I just yeah. need a proper address. You email me the address crazy. and I'll send it to you. Okay. I will definitely do that today. Brilliant. Um, brilliant. And I will also send you guys a copy of, of some, I haven't written my own book yet, but I've, I've written contributions and other right. books, like pieces of my story. So I will cool. do the same. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah, thank you, ladies, so much for being with us today. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening in today. Please join us next week, same day and time. Also, I would love for you to check out my website, healthrivedream.com.